I can tell y'all are ready for Christmas. You're bony. <laughs> How are y'all doing? Do y'all have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. What's your favorite food on Thanksgiving? Turkey butt? <laughs> That's silly. What, what's your favorite Thanksgiving food? Bread? That's always good. You don't know? Do you just like it all? You don't like any Thanksgiving food? You're so silly. I think my favorite has probably got to be pumpkin pie and mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes, I think, is like the best thing ever. So I got a question. How would you feel if Thanksgiving was like every day? You don't know? Would you be happy about it? Would you be upset about it? Oh, you'd be upset because you'd have to never get to go to Christmas? That's fair. I mean, you are wearing a Christmas tree shirt, so. <laughs> so why do we celebrate Thanksgiving anyway? To eat the turkey's butt? <laughs> well, the reason that we celebrate Thanksgiving is because we are so thankful for everything that God has given us over the year. When we bring in harvest, when we see all that, that God's provided, we're just so thankful for Him. So we sit down and we celebrate and, we're, and we thank God for that. Did you know that you can celebrate what God has given you every single day? So how, how do you do that? What do you think? You know, every day you can get up and you can say, God, I'm so thankful that you gave me food to eat this morning. I'm so thankful that you gave me parents who love me, that you let me go to school, that you've given me Christmas shirts with dinosaurs on them. I mean, you can thank God for something every single day. And we can thank him because he loves us and he gives us good gifts every single day so we can be thankful for that. So I want you this week, I'm going to ask you next week, so you better be ready. What, what is one thing every day that you're thankful for that God's provided, okay? So that's your homework for this week. You got to look, and then we'll talk about it next week. I'm glad you like eating turkey. <laughs> Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for these children. I thank you for all the gifts that you've given us. I thank you for Thanksgiving. Um, I thank you for all that you continue to do for us. Lord, I pray that you help these children see that you are the giver of all good gifts. And that they have an opportunity every day to be thankful for you, not only for the things you provide, but for what you've done for them on the cross. Father, I pray that you help them to see this, to implant it in their hearts, and help them believe it and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, grab an egg. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It is a pleasure to be here this morning. We are going to continue in our series in the book of James. And I'm just going to let you know, if my voice starts cracking, <laughs> this is the second sermon I preached this morning, so just, you know, I, I'm not going through puberty again, I promise. 
and, uh, and it'll be okay. <laughs> so we've been going through the book of James verse by verse, and last week we talked about how James has provided really practical wisdom on what it looks like to walk through trials, specifically the trials of money, and how God has given us wisdom to act rightly and to see those trials rightly when it comes to being poor or when it comes to having a lot of money and how we're supposed to live in light of those things. Well, today we're going to be looking at verses 12 through, sorry, 18. Uh, And then we're going to read this passage and we'll pray and we'll get going. So let's read it. Chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test... He will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, and we thank you um, that you really are the giver of And we thank you for the gift of this scripture. And we pray that today you would implant it in our hearts and help us to live differently in light of it. Help us to be transformed because of it. Father, I pray right now you give us the eyes to see and ears to hear and and hearts that are open and ready to receive your word. Father, I pray that you would remove distractions from us. Give me the ability to preach well and for your spirit to, to move among us this morning. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. So, when I was young, I um, was, was kind of the good sibling of the family. You know, I was, I'm the oldest child, and so uh, I had the responsibility of managing all my other siblings. And my, my other sibling, particularly my, my brother um, right under me, AJ, um, used to always get in trouble for, for various stuff. Like, he'd always have little traps set for me where, like, I'd walk in my room and like all of a sudden, like a hockey stick would just like slam my face or something because he would, I would, he would just set traps for me. And he'd always get in trouble because he always got caught. What they didn't realize is that uh, he was not actually the most conniving one I was. I was just smart enough to never get caught because <laughs> I'm the older brother. I know better. Uh, but when I did get caught, I was also really good about blaming other people for it. So if I ever did get caught, I always had a strategy in place where somehow, some way, it was not my fault. It was my brother's fault. <laughs> and so he would get in trouble too. <laughs> and that always happened, or not always, I, I hardly ever got caught, but when it did, uh, it worked. But you know, that's our intention too when it comes to our sin. You know, when we mess up, we always want to have some reason to blame somebody else. And, and James realizes that this is going on in these churches, that, that they are... are Um, falling into sin sometimes, as everyone does, and yet when they do, they're not acting rightly and coming back in repentance, but they're blaming God for their sin. And they're blaming other things for their sin. They're not taking responsibility for it, and in so doing, 
they're actually walking away from the truth and being led toward death. And that's the main point of our passage today, that that Christians endure temptation by taking ownership of their sin, trusting in God's character, and relying on His grace. James is providing these house churches with the opportunity to deal with temptation in a right way. So let's look, verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, if you read this passage all at once, if you just read all chapter one together, this verse is kind of weird because it can go with the previous verses that we just talked about in regards to money, or it can also go really well with what we're talking about today. And that's the point. This verse is actually a bridge between the two. He says, in all these trials that we've just talked about in general, of of having these trials of God transforming us and giving us wisdom to see our trials rightly and to see that God's using them for our good to make us more like him, blessed is the person who in those trials perseveres. But then also, this has to do with what we're talking about today, that our trials are... Uh, that our calling is to remain steadfast. And so this is a bridge between the two. And he says that the person who remains steadfast is blessed. And this is the one who, who perseveres. And, and, and blessed really has two uh, connotations here. It's, it's the kind of blessing where they're going to be blessed now because they're living in accordance with what God uh, has for their life. And they're going to be blessed later by receiving the reward for their endurance. And this reward that James is talking about here is the crown of life. And and that's really just another fancy way of saying eternal life. That, that, uh, That they're going to receive this gift of eternal life as a prize for their endurance through the trials of life. Uh, when uh, Kristen and I had the opportunity to go to Greece a few years ago, we actually had the opportunity to go visit Corinth. Um, and, and it was really cool. In the city square, uh, there was just this, this stone rectangle. Um, it's, it's about this wide and about 20 feet long. And it just is a line in the middle of the square. And there's another one at the end. And what we found out was that in Corinth, they hosted what was called the Isthmian Games, which was at the time second only to the Olympic Games. And this rock that I saw on the ground was actually the starting line for their foot races. And when they would have foot races, everyone would line up at the line, they'd go, first person to get to the end wins, and that winner would receive a crown made of normally like celery greens or something like that. It was this perishable crown showing that they had won their race. And so James is drawing on that kind of imagery, this sporting imagery, saying they're going to receive this victor's crown of life. Uh, And Paul actually uses some of this language uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you want to flip there with me. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, uh, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And so uh, Paul uses this kind of language too, talking about that this 
imperishable wreath, this crown of life that we're going to get, is the reward for walking through trials, for enduring in them. And, and this person who's done that is a believer who has won the race. And, and Paul, again, uses this terminology in 2 Timothy. We won't flip there, but he says, I've run the good race. I've fought the good fight. I have, I've completed the race. He's, he's near the end of his life. He knows he's going to be martyred. And so he says this, that he's, he's finished the race. And so uh, what James is trying to get across here is that when we go through our trials, when we endure, that there is a prize at the end. And we talked a little bit about that last week, about how God rewards our endurance. But the greatest reward that he gives us is this eternal life with him. And he says that it's for those who um, love God, uh, which God has promised to those who love him. So the, those who love God are Christians and they're identified by their endurance. And this is really what I wanted to, to get at with this verse, is that Christians are identified not necessarily in this passage by what they believe, but by how they endure through their trials. James is very serious when it comes to living the Christian life. He actually says in chapter 2, verse 17, that faith without works is dead that the faith that you have will necessarily be backed up by the way that you live. And if it's not, you need to question whether that faith is real or not. And so what he says here is that the way that we live is important and it shows us that we are followers of Christ. And when we know that we're followers of Christ, we identify that in ourselves by our endurance through these trials. And that has to do a lot with temptation because I I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I endure a lot sometimes when it comes to temptation. You know, sometimes when I get tempted, I fall into sin. And I think all of us do in various ways. I think all of us this last week have probably sinned more times than we can count. I know I can think of countless ways that I have sinned against myself, my family, and, and God. And in those times, I wonder whether we have endured well, whether I'm enduring well. And James is, is dealing with, with that in us today. How are we to respond to temptation well and know that even if we fall, that we're going to endure? And so let, let's look. Verse uh, 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. The first thing that we're going to need to do in order to deal with temptation well is we have to take ownership of our sin. Uh, When I sin, uh, like last week, I snapped at Kristen. And I remember telling her, I'm sorry, I was tired. As if that's some kind of excuse for me snapping at her. That doesn't excuse it away. That doesn't shift the blame somewhere else. But my natural inclination in that moment was to put the blame not on myself and not being able to control my anger. My inclination was to put it on something outside of myself saying, that's the problem. If I wasn't so tired, I wouldn't have snapped at you. And and I I mean, all of us do this in, in various ways. Our inclination is to put the blame on somebody else. And so evidently what the Christians in James' time were doing is they're putting that on God. 
They're saying, look, we realize that God is sovereign, that he's using all these things to make us more like him. He's in charge of the world. He's in charge of our lives. He's planned everything out. And that means that if I sin, it's his fault. God made me do it. I'm, I'm not responsible for my sin. God is the one who's causing me to do that. And James emphatically says, we can never claim that. God is never, ever, ever responsible for our sin. He never brings us to a point of temptation. God only provides trials for us to make us more like him. But in those trials, sometimes instead of responding rightly, we respond in sin. God is never responsible for our sin. He never brings us to that point. So he says, let no one say, I'm being tempted by God, but that's our natural inclination. We want to say that we're being tempted by something else. We want to say that it's not our fault. We want to do that. That's our natural inclination, but we can never blame God for sin. He is completely good and he's not going to lead us to sin ever. So he, he draws upon the character of God. He says uh, that he is Lord. Uh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong verse. I'm being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. God is so completely good that he can have nothing at all to do with sin. It is impossible for him to do evil because he is good by definition. He cannot do evil in any way. And he himself would never lead anyone to do evil. So by, by appealing to God, what we're saying is that, is that we don't believe that about God. We don't believe that God is good. And we believe that he can actually be evil. But that's not true at all. God is real Love, he is real goodness, and that can never be anything different, that can never change. And he goes on, verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. He's using a fishing metaphor. I, I, don't, I don't fish a whole lot uh, when I have, I've not done well. Uh, but I remember this one time when my parents, uh, my parents, my grandparents, moved into a new house on a lake. Um, I went fishing there uh, just a couple of times, but the very first time I went fishing, I caught like eight fish in 10 minutes. Uh, it was just crazy. I had this little cane pole, and all I had was just this tiny little bit of bait. I set it in the water, bite, and pull it out. Set it in the water again, bite, pull it out. It was just like all the fish were just sitting there waiting for this bait. And, and what I realized is that for whatever reason, I had lured these fish out of wherever hole they were, and they were just waiting and biting onto that because they, they wanted the, the bait. And, and so James is using that kind of inclination here. See, our, our hearts are such that we desire evil things. We, at our core, desire evil things sometimes. And because of Jesus, that's different. But when we are uh, not saved at the core, we want and we desire evil things. And even now that we have Jesus, 
the stain of sin is still present with us while we are here and, and not in glory with him. We're still fighting the disease even though we've been given the cure. And so our flesh desires to go after those things. And, and the picture that he's drawing for us is that when, when I want to respond in anger, my heart leads me toward that. And because I feel like it's going to bring me some kind of good, I chase after it. And what ends up happening is I get caught like a fish on a hook and drawn into sin. In the same way, like it, you see a woman, guys, and she's very attractive. And your heart thinks, that's going to bring you some kind of good if you would just keep looking a little bit longer. And then you're caught in lust. Or, women, it, it, it's going to bring you some kind of good if you would just share this little bit of information to, to make yourself look better or to share some kind of gossip about someone else. It's going to bring you some kind of good and, and, and your heart leads you that way. And we fall into gossip. All of us have this in us. All of us want our sin. We're led away by it. Where sin occurs when we're led away and give in to our evil desires. And our evil desires act as this bait that lead us toward death. Look in verse 15. He says, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth this is the pattern of temptation and sin in all of our lives. Regardless of what the sin is, this is the pattern. It begins here in the mind. We, at some point when you sin, you make a conscious choice to sin. If you choose to be angry, you made that choice. If you choose to be lustful, you made that choice. That is on you. You made a conscious decision. You dwelled on something and you let that percolate in your mind. And now what happens is that continues to grow and grow and grow and it comes out in our actions. Jesus said much the same, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, out of the abundance of the heart, your hands move and, and your, your body goes places and your eyes look your mouth speaks. Every one of our actions comes out of the abundance of our heart, good and bad. So when we sin, it comes out of this, um, this dwelling on sin that then comes out as sinful actions. And when we continuously give in to those sinful actions, it becomes a habit. And those habits eventually become character traits. And sin left unchecked leads to its ultimate destination of death. Hear me. There is no circumstance in which it is okay to dabble in any kind of sin. There is no sin that will not negatively affect you in some way. Even if it's a little white lie that no one is ever going to know is different, that you're always going to get away with, even that little thing, will bring you toward death. A little bit of bait gets a big fish on a hook. It doesn't take a whole lot. And then you're reeled in. 
And as you continually give in, we're led away from the good life that Jesus has for us and toward the life that leads to death. Our desire leads to sin. We dwell on the evil desires that gives birth to death. And when we nurture sin, it nurtures and brings forth its ultimate destination, brings us to death, and that it shows us the seriousness of our sin. And so sin that is consistent and unrepentant, listen to this, if you are living in such a way that you are living in consistent, unrepentant sin, that you have gone this way, you really do need to question whether you are saved or not. Consistent, unrepentant sin is the kind of sin that is in open rebellion against God. Now hear me, I I don't want you to get confused here. I'm not saying that if you sin a certain number of times in the same area, that somehow you're going that way. I'm not talking about something that you're fighting against, that you struggle with. All of us have those kinds of sins. All of us are bent and shaped in different ways to where we're fighting sin on a daily basis in different ways, right? Like for me, it might be anger. I can, be, I can snap at my wife a lot if I'm not careful. But the difference is it's the kind of sin where we are going after it and not fighting against it at all, that we are continuously pursuing that. And so what, what James is saying here is that if we're living that way, you're heading toward death and you really need to check your heart and ask yourself whether you really have believed in Jesus. Because a person who is a Christian has the evidence show up in their life of, of a different life. They're enduring through their sin rather than giving into it on a consistent, willful basis. So you need to ask yourself that. And if that's you, today is the day to realize that you need to turn around. You cannot continually dive into this sin on purpose, not asking God for forgiveness, not fighting against it, willfully going toward it for your own good and your own pleasure, and think that that's not going to affect you that that's not leading you really to death. So we need to look at ourselves and turn around if that's, if that's us. And so we need to take ownership of our sin and realize it's not anybody else's fault except us. It's not God's fault. It's not Satan's fault, even though Scripture does say that Satan does tempt us towards sin but we cannot go around saying that Satan made me do it all the time, right? Like how would it be if in your, you know, know, your car breaks down and you say, well, Satan, well, okay, but you haven't right? It's not Satan that's doing all of this. It's us. We need to take responsibility for our own sin. And the first step in fighting temptation is realizing that. There is nothing outside of us that forces us to do that. You are responsible for your own choices. You have to take ownership of your sin. You are responsible. So if we're going to fight it then, we have to take responsibility. And then the first step in in fighting back is then controlling what we dwell on. Uh, Paul has a really good passage on this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, 
He says in in verse 5 of this chapter, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. If we realize that sin begins here, that the path toward death leads leads from dwelling on these things, then the best way to fight against sin starts in the mind. Nip it in the bud before it ever gets too powerful to control. For me, um, that, that might look like when I have that inclination to anger, being willing to, to step back and instead of just willfully giving in to that anger, asking God to help me. And praying and realizing that, that this, is, this is something sinful, I don't need to dwell on it, and asking God to help me. It's, it's lust, maybe it's, it's gossip, maybe it's, it's lying or some other kind of sin. It all begins here, and so the first thing that we need to do in order to fight it after taking ownership of it and responsibility is to take every thought captive, and then the way that we fight against that is not simply by self-control and white-knuckling and say, okay, I'm going to say that this is sinful and I'm not going to do it. No, that's just self-righteous law-keeping. No one can do that forever. You can only white-knuckle it so long before you fail. And when you live like that, you just live in this cycle of sin and shame and guilt and feel like God's never pleased with you, that you can never obey Him fully, that you're forever going to be trapped in this sin. That's not the way to do it. We take every thought captive by taking that sin that we think is going to bring us good and replacing it with something better. And for us, it's... Uh, trusting in God's character. So look with me in, in the next verse, verse 16. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So the first thing that he notes here is God gives good gifts to his children, that all of the trials that we're going through are actually good gifts that God gives to us to make us more like him. Uh, He says in Matthew chapter 11, or sorry, chapter 7, verse 11, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So the first thing James wants us to know in fighting against this sin is that God has good in mind for you. He wants to give you good things. Listen, the reason that you chase after sin is because you think it's going to be good for you. You think it's going to fill something in your life that is missing. You think it's going to provide life for you in some way that God cannot. And we've believed this this kind of lie. So what James does is he says we need to take responsibility for our sin and then realize that God has good gifts in mind that in Him, at His right hand, are pleasures forevermore. At His throne is fullness of joy. 
that with him there is nothing with which he will withhold from us because he wants to give everything to us. He says every good gift, every perfect gift comes from God. That means the feeling of walking out of your house in the morning and seeing a beautiful day, of the taste of food, of laughter, of your children and grandchildren. I could go on and on and on about all these good things that God has given you that we experience every day. All of those things are good gifts that he has given to you because he loves you. Everything good in your life comes from him. And without him, you would have none of it. We would not be able to experience those things fully. I mean, we just went through Thanksgiving, right? And for Christians, I think Thanksgiving means far more than it does to people who aren't Christians. Because for people who aren't Christians, we can be, they can be thankful for, you know, the, the family that they have, the food that they've been given. But for us, we realize that all of these good things come from someone who wants to give us good things. And it all comes back into praise toward God for what He has done for us, showing us that He loves us so much. So He has, has done this for us. We have good things. He gives us these good things. And then He says that in God's character, there is no change. There's no variation or shadow due to change. And this is contrasted with the, the heavenly lights that we see every day. He says that um, coming down from the Father of lights, basically what he's saying is that, that God is the creator of all things. All things good, everything that occurs, it's from him, including the sun and the stars. And we look at the sun and the stars and the moon, we know that they change. There's shadow due to variation. There's different things that happen to change the amount of light they put out. But with God, that's never the case. His disposition for you never changes. His love for you never changes. His faithfulness toward you is never different. That's why we sing the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. There is no shadow or turning with thee. That verse comes out of this passage. Because... With God, he is never going to change. He is unchanging. His love for you is such that it will never change. And so you can trust in and rely on him to give you good things. When you're in temptation, when you're facing temptation, you can fully trust in God's goodness toward you. You can trust that he loves you and he wants the best for you. And you can trust that he is for you and wants to bless you. I said this a second ago, but Psalm 1611, you make known to me the of your life of life. At your right hand is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. With God, all good things come from him. And so if we're going to fight sin, we take responsibility for it. And then we look to God's character and we realize he loves us, he wants good for us, and we need to dwell on that rather than this sinful inclination that wants to lie to us and bring us toward death. But that's not enough. Finally, we take ownership, we trust in God's character, and then we rely on his grace. Verse 18 
of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits for his creatures. So what he's saying here is that while God has given us all these good things that we get to live in and experience every day, the best and most perfect gift that he ever gave to you was your own salvation. The best and most perfect thing that he ever gave to you was himself dying on a cross for you. Being with him forever, giving you this gift of life. He says, he brought us forth of his own will by the word of truth. So he's used the gospel, the word of truth, to make you. He planned that one day you were going to see and believe the gospel and you were going to respond in faith and he was going to make you his child in that moment. He chose of his own will to do that for you as a good gift because he loved you. And then uh, it is through, uh, sorry, he says, of whom we are a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And this first fruits means that there's more to come. He's talking about, he's talking to these Christians and he's saying, look, God has saved you and he saved you for a purpose to go and spread the gospel to more people. There is more fruit to come. There's more harvest to come in. And so it's through God's indwelling spirit and powerful word that he will continue to preserve us to the end. Basically what he's saying is that when you mess up, you can rely on God's grace. Listen, you're going to leave today and you're going to sin. You're not going to be perfect after today, after this sermon. You're going to mess up. You're going to fall into temptation. But in that, you have the opportunity to turn to him, forgiveness, and come right back into obedience with him. And we do that by relying on his grace, knowing that even though we mess up, God is going to help you endure. This is actually a doctrine that, that we believe in Christianity called the perseverance of the saints. You might have heard it as once saved, always saved. When a person believes in Christ, though they fall at times, God, through his indwelling spirit, makes us persevere so that at the end of our life, we will reach the end. You don't go on your own. You do it through God working through you in your life. That's why James begins this passage 12, saying, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. He has promised that because he ensures it. In so take heart today. If you're struggling with sin and temptation, you have the ability to fight against it. But even when you fall, God is going to help you and he's going to ensure that you persevere to the end. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this word. I thank you for your goodness and your grace and for all the good gifts that you've given us. Father, I pray that today you would help us to fight against sin. Help us to be more holy. But even when we do sin, help us to remember that you help us to, to turn back to you. Help us to see the true severity of our sin. To hate it. And to see you for who you rightly are as the one who loves us, who's not going to change, who wants us to be more like you and who's going to give us every good thing. Help us to dwell on these things and to rely on your grace 
as we continue to run the race. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to leave you with a blessing from the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance toward you and give you peace. You're dismissed.